You're listening to A Not-So-Private Practice, and we are your hosts, Steph and Laura. Consider this your backstage pass to all the weird and wonderful things that happen behind the curtain of group practice ownership. Today, we're going to talk a bit about money. Money, 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 money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We had this idea about bringing an accountant on to sit with us and talk about some of these things. And then we thought like, who really wants to listen to an accountant? (laughs) I don't really want to. Uh, So we decided that we're just actually going to talk to you about our experiences with money and some of the things that we've learned over the last few years as we've been running our business. I'm thinking about one of the funnier moments of our financial prowess is when we opened, we both gave shareholder loans to get the company started. And a couple years in, we had enough money in Shoreline Corp that we were like, oh, we can pay ourselves back part of those loans. Yeah. And so we did that. We paid ourselves back half of what we had initially put in. And your end comes around and our accountant's like, so I just want to confirm with you two that you both paid yourselves giant dividends. And we were like, no, 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 no. Those are shareholder loan repayments. And she was like, no, no, no. Your shareholder loan is with a different corporation. Let's get into it. Today, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things related to money. We want to talk a bit about how we've accessed loans, uh, grants we've used to fund projects, special projects, or our business, how we pay ourselves as owners, and some pieces around accounting and bookkeeping, and how important it is to find the right people to work with you. So let's go backwards and start at the beginning so we can capture some of the things we've learned about getting money. Yeah, uh, some of you may know that when we opened, we purchased a large commercial space in Fort Langley and then proceeded to do a pretty enormous renovation to build seven offices into it. And so, of course, we needed funding yeah, to we purchase needed, Yeah, we needed this. funding. And, you know, we talked to a lot of people and got a lot of advice around how we could go about doing this. And, you know, the first piece of advice that we got from the realtor we were working with, actually, Mm -hmm. was that we were best off starting a corporation that would primarily just hold the purchase of this real Real estate. estate Or any future purchases, should that ever happen. That's right. And it was essentially going to be the landlord, you know, and it helped to protect our counseling business that we had not yet built, you know, from the liabilities and risks associated with all of the things that we were going to need to do to buy this property and renovate it. And so... And then to open a second corporation that was the operating company, the essentially the day-to-day business of Shoreline Counseling. That's right. Who would act as the tenant in the space that we purchased. So we did that first. So now we've got these two corporations. Yeah. So we needed money, obviously, to purchase the property Mm -hmm. and do the renovation. And so we, like, went hustling to a few different banks. Yeah in the hopes that we could get a big enough loan to cover the cost of the purchase and purchase and the reno. And we have this conditional offer accepted on the office Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. So at this point, it is contingent on us getting financing. And so here we are running around trying to get a loan from a bank. And, And tricky, as many of you probably know, we had no business history. That's right. We had personal history in the industry, but 
Shoreline Counseling was a brand new business. So getting approved for large loans is a little more complex than when you've got history. Right. So we, you know, went to the traditional banks and they offered us loans with like 11% interest or something like that and required us to leverage ourselves personally quite extensively. And when we looked at the model that we had, the business model we'd created for Shoreline you know, based on all of our projections, we just knew we couldn't it just sustain didn't add those up, payments. You know, yeah. when we thought about how much our monthly payments were going to be essentially as renters and how much we would have to charge per office to cover that, it was just not yeah. tenable. Yeah. Yeah. So then we met Salvador. Oh, Salvador. Yeah. yeah. Salvador was our connection guy yeah. at the BDC. For those of you who don't know, the BDC is the Business Development Bank of Canada and yeah. they're sort of mission is to support businesses, new businesses, other businesses with accessible financial loans and things like that to help get the business going. So at this point, here we are, our accepted offer has expired. The time on our offer has expired. We were in this like weird limbo place because we didn't know if making a second offer on our, on this property was going to be like fruitless again because we couldn't get the financing. So enter Salvador. He was great. Mm-hmm. Walked us through the whole process. We secured a loan that covered both the part of the property that we needed to finance and the renovation costs. Yeah. And the BDC has some fantastic ways of supporting new businesses. In our first year, we paid interest only on our loan, which just gave us that buffer that was so valuable as we were starting out and filling our roster with yeah. more clients. They've got a number of incentives like that yeah. with new business owners in mind. Yeah, it was great. And so once we kind of felt confident and Salvador was confident that all of these pieces were going to fall into place, we went back, remember, to the yeah. sellers and we wrote this like very compassionate letter yeah, about... because we found out someone else had put an offer on oh, our space. Right. Our realtor let us know, just so that's you know, there's right. another offer going in this weekend. That's right. And we were... Panicked. Panicked, of yeah. course. We had just, you know, it, weeks and months of anticipation. We knew right. that this was our space that's and right. it was inconceivable that That's someone right. else would buy it. So we, wrote a we very thought, heartfelt letter. yeah, maybe if we write this really compelling letter that yeah. will just make us stand out yeah. above the other offer. Yeah, it worked. It works. Yeah, yeah, it worked. And all the fees, all the pieces fell into place. And mm-hmm. so, you know, essentially the way that looks today, a number of years down the road, is that Shoreline essentially pays rent to our holding co every month mm-hmm. and it covers the cost of our BDC loan it covers our strata fees. It covers insurance, property taxes, yeah. you know, accounting costs, bookkeeping costs, legal For, costs, yeah. all the things that are involved in both the running of the corporation and the sustaining of the property. Yeah. Gosh, I remember that day when our realtor came to my house and I had the check, like the oh, deposit yeah. check. For him, because our offer had been accepted, and I and I gave it to him, and he said, "Once money changes hands, you know it's a done deal." And mm. I was like, "Oh, I remember that moment of just my heart feeling so full, like, holy moly, this is happening." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a crazy, crazy time. But okay, so that's one sort of segment. But we also have other loans. Yes, we do. When we got started. We had this great loan from the BDC. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, we didn't really know what we were in for with the scale of our renovation and costs were, of course, higher than we had anticipated. Surprise, surprise. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we each personally, as we told you in the intro, contributed a little bit of money yeah. to get the business off 
the ground. And so that was kind of the first kind of like lump sum personal investment that we made. And then, you know, for the first two years, you and I essentially paid the equivalent of like 25% mm-hmm. of our kind of like monthly income yeah. into the business yeah. every month. Yeah. And it, we knew that that was needed to keep the business running in those first couple of years. And it was familiar for us. We had come from a practice where we were right. paying a commission. And so sort of like the difference between renting and owning a house, we just thought, let's just keep paying the familiar percentage, but into a business that's now ours. Yeah. And that was essential yeah. for the business for of a couple of years that we left about a quarter of our earnings in to yeah. keep it afloat. Yeah. And once we hit the two-year mark, we were able to stop Well, it was that. right before you went on mat leave. I yes. remember, yes. you know, all these conversations we were having about like, how was this going to shake out equitably with you being off for the year and me, you know, opening the second location and kind of office managing and holding down the fort while you were gone. And mm-hmm. the decision that we came to that was going to be fair for both of us was that, you know, the numbers supported the idea that we actually didn't need to make that contribution anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so at that point in time, we stopped yeah. paying into the office. There's other ways that we've attempted to find money or have been granted money over the years to either pursue our growing business or to fund special projects. Like this podcast. Like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we, go ahead. Okay. Well, we applied for the Canadian Digital Adoption Program grant which was a $15,000 grant offered by the government to help uh, both like audit and improve kind of like digital marketing, digital sales, mm-hmm. all of those sorts of things. And we teamed up with our neighbors downstairs, Jelly Marketing. We love Jelly Marketing. We do. We really yeah. love them. They've been great for us. And they were our digital adoption program advisors. Mm-hmm. They did a full audit of our whole digital presence. They helped us build. And then they helped us build with that money, the infrastructure for this podcast, mm-hmm. which has been hugely helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great program. It was one of the easiest applications you and I have ever done because they were able to just access our track record as a business and base the grant off of that. Yeah. The CRA, you mean. They just like accessed our CRA and based off of that. Yeah, Yeah, they did. And then it's just been invaluable in terms of us being able to launch a greater digital presence. Totally. I feel really like we've learned a lot in that process. You know, the woman that we worked with at Jelly really just patiently walked us through so many of these like digital pieces that yeah. are just like really unfamiliar to us. Yeah. 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 And I think over over the years, there have been a number of different kind of grant opportunities that we have tried to capitalize on, not super successfully. Mm. But, you know, it's it's kind of cool for us to continue to pursue these kinds of opportunities for grants and scholarships so that we can like continue to do the cool, fun projects that we want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about our accounting situation. Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about our initial accountant who, you know, was great for us at the time. She was a little unfamiliar with our industry. She was a little unfamiliar with our industry, but I knew her. I had a bit of a history with her. And I just found, you know, she, we learned a ton Mm -hmm. from her. Mm -hmm. We learned a ton from her. And I think, you know, we recently have moved on from her. And I think, you know, the main reason was that the practice is really big. And the unfamiliarity with the industry was just becoming like this bigger and bigger obstacle yeah. um, between like her understanding and ours. And so, you know, unfortunately, it was a bit sad for me, but unfortunately, we had to make this it change. It made sense to part ways. And we had met another accountant in the meantime. We hadn't intended to switch accountants initially. We met with this accountant because 
There's a trend in our industry currently where people are moving away from an independent contractor model to an employee model in group practices. Mm -hmm. And so we had heard about this accountant who had coached other people through this process, and we just wanted to get the lowdown on whether this was something that we should consider. Yeah, Laura has like a lot of FOMO, for those of you that don't know of this about her. And so, you know, the big question was like, are we missing out on something really good here? (laughs) Like, have we missed the boat on this like employee thing? And, you know, the first... Also, Laura, you know, loves a good budget. And so first, the first question really was like, we need someone to walk us through the numbers before we can sort of like look at the larger landscape here. But I should say that if it was just me, I would just writhe in my fear of missing out. It's you stuff that's like, maybe we should talk to an accountant. And I was like, good one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's do that. Yeah. And so we had seen that there was an accountant who had done a talk on this for a group of counselors. We'd seen it online. Mm -hmm. So we wrote to her and we just sort of asked for, you know, a rundown on on this. And, you know, turns out based on, you know, what matters to us and the ethos of how we run Mm -hmm. our practice, we are not missing out on it. No. Okay. Put really simply, everyone makes more money in an independent contractor model, both owners and contractors. Everyone stands to make more money. But of course, since they're contractors, we have less control over when they work, how they work, how much time they take off, et cetera. And so for some businesses, it is worth the financial loss in order to have more say-so over the structure of the people that work for them. Yeah. And for us, it wasn't an important enough value to give up the money that we can make having a contractor model. So totally. Or like the time that either, you know, ourselves or our bookkeepers or our accountants would need to be investing in like the paperwork and the admin of, you know, running an employee model. So, you know, we met with this woman. She walked us through a very extensive and helpful spreadsheet Mm -hmm. on, you know, all the all the components of of making this change. And we just realized that like it just wasn't a value aligned move for us. Yeah. Um, And so we decided not to make the change, but we both got off that call and we're like, we like her. Yeah, She yes. knows this industry well. And, you know, she was the one that sort of pointed out to us because we looked at the numbers and I said to her, like, why is this a trend right now? Like, mm-hmm. why are people doing this? The numbers don't add up. And she said, you know, it's about people having more control over their business. Mm-hmm. And so we took that away and, you know, mulled it over and re- realized it just wasn't aligned with us. But we appreciated uh, time that she'd given us yeah. and her candidness and, and around it. She, I mean, she's a clearly has a ton of expertise in the area, but the way she explains things is easier to digest than our experience has been with other accountants. Yeah. You often have so much knowledge and struggle to translate it in a way that makes sense to us. Yeah. The number of times we've walked away from other meetings thinking like, I have no idea what this person yeah. just said. They're yeah, probably yeah. right, but we're not tracking what they're saying. Yeah. And so working with someone who can translate what needs to be translated into language that we can grasp is very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think about when we were kind of like meeting accountants, our first accountant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My brother had recommended (laughs) him to me. And like, we do nothing at this point in time. Granted, I'm not sure I would understand anything he said today either. But I remember leaving there being like, either I'm like a complete idiot or he's not speaking English. English. I know. Like, my memory of it is like math symbols, like floating in the air above my head. Yeah, and I have Laura no has idea a what's bachelor's degree in math. I, I, I am actually <laughs> quite good at math. Yes. <laughs> and we walked out of there and yeah. we were just like, we have no idea. Yeah. And so, okay, we ended up with our great accountant. We had her for a number of years. It was great. 
then we decide we're at this like kind of like fork kind in of the road or fork something. in the road. Yeah. We need to make a move. And so when we met this new accountant, we just thought she's industry informed. She speaks a language that we totally understand. But, you know, we are just coming up to our first year end with her. So, like, mm-hmm. stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so far, so good. All right. Let's talk a bit about how we pay ourselves yeah, as owners. So, as we alluded to earlier, when we first started the business, we we essentially pay ourselves as contractors. Yeah. And early on, we treated ourselves similar to our other contractors. We paid ourselves a portion of our earnings. We kept a portion in the business. We've shifted things now that we're further in. We've um, shifted things many times <laughs> between then things. and now. Yeah, many times. <laughs> but one of the benefits to us now as owners is that we pull out every dollar that we make. That is essentially how we compensate ourselves for our work is every clinical dollar that Steph and I earn, we take home and we earn different amounts and we have different rates because we have different training and different offerings. So we keep that separate and pull it out into our personal finances. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the difference in our practice than, you know, I imagine many of you who are listening are experiencing, we, our practice is an incorporated partnership. Mm -hmm. So we are 50-50 in our business. And so we attempted for a year to operate as employees of Shoreline, mm-hmm. and it was unbelievably complicated. Yeah. We messed things up so bad. Yes, yes, it we was did. like between having like yeah. not a great bookkeeper and an accountant who was perpetually frustrated with our boneheadedness. I would yeah. say maybe yeah. we just didn't. We just like couldn't figure out a way for it to be equitable in the way it was required to be, given that it was a partnership. So, yeah. you know, since then. We have actually both personally incorporated mm-hmm. and we run our personal corps probably very similar to the way you would run your operating company if you were a sole, sole owner. Right. Local salaries, dividends, and we do that separate from each other. Yeah. So as Laura mentioned, we pull all of our clinical dollars out, they go to our personal corps, and then we operate yeah. uh, out of those. Yeah. And within our corps, we've got health plans for ourselves, right. uh, things you can do within your corporation if you are a sole owner for yourself. Right. And we are still somewhat unclear on what some of those things are. So we often do the, um, like, apologize later route as we learn how best to use our corporations. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So we only pay ourselves what we make from our clinical hours as owners currently. And so then we have other decisions to make with retained earnings in the company. Yeah. Like when we get to the end of the year and there's money left in the corporation, we have to make decisions about you know, dividends or things like that. And, you know, generally speaking, our priorities have been to use retained earnings to pay down debt mm-hmm. and to cover the cost of our expansion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And why is it, Laura, that these are the choices that we've made instead of pulling dividends? Okay, well, this is our greatest area of expertise, I yeah. would say, yeah. when it comes to finances, uh, budgeting. Yeah. Steph and I love budgeting. Yeah. We love paying down debt. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Feels so good. And like, you know, when we talk about this IC model to employee model, you know, it is not in our value system or our interest to control the people that work for us. We channel all of that controlling energy and need into our budget. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We were trying to figure out how to explain to all of you why it feels so good to budget. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I mean, I have a couple of like funny, sto- I have a funny story that happened recently that like just kind of like, I guess, reflects our deep love. Yeah. Like yeah. how good it feels. Yeah. You know, it was my birthday recently and my husband wanted to buy me a gift and he told me I wasn't allowed to look at the budget for X amount of days, uh, which he knows is like 
kind of a tall order. I often look at it a number of times a day. <laughs> and, you know, um, I I respected his wishes, of course, and uh, closed the perpetually open budget app on my computer. And, um, you know, my birthday comes around and, you know, he says to me the night before, are we going to do the gifts like in the morning? Are we going to do them in the evening? And I'm like, we're doing them in the morning because it's my birthday and I want to look at the budget. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not clear we are as fiendish about budgeting personally as we are <laughs> for our companies. I uh, recently had uh, my sister was staying at our house and in addition to our budgeting software, which I also look at at least once a day, um, my partner and I have this other way that we save money. So if we have like a special thing that we want to fund, whenever we have cash left over at the end of the month, we put it in coffee mugs. And we have like <laughs> several coffee mugs going at a time. Like we're saving something for the kids. We're saving something for ourselves. And so there's like a whole portion of our coffee mug shelf that's really just money mugs. <laughs> and so... <laughs> My sister came for a visit and and we put in our least favorite mugs, of course. We keep the best mugs for coffee. So my sister came for a visit. She got up the next morning and I don't know, she had this thought like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. So I'll just use some of their less least favorite smallish mugs. And she pulled six or seven mugs <laughs> off of our shelf trying to pour herself a cup of coffee and she just kept finding money. And she's like, you guys, what is going on with your coffee mugs? And we were like, those are for special projects. Don't touch. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm new to budgeting. Laura's been doing it for a long time. I'm like not sure that I can really name what it is that feels so good about it. But there is something about knowing and having like a handle mm -hmm. on all of the money that feels really good. And, you know, as Laura says, we're not as great about it with our company, primarily because we have very different ways of budgeting. We use the mm -hmm. same software. Mm -hmm. But when I look at Laura's budget that she does for the office, I like have zero idea what she's thinking. <laughs> and so I tried to take it over earlier in the year and she That's looked right. at it and she was like, too many categories. <laughs> yeah, doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah. <laughs> we're going back to the yeah. old way. So I have like <laughs> stepped away a little bit. But now at least like when I go in and look at it, I like feel a little bit more like I know what's going on yeah. as opposed to the first three years of our operation where I just never opened it because I had no idea what she was doing. Yeah. I mean, practically speaking, the budget helps us to put money aside for taxes, put money aside for GST, save up for things that we know are coming in the future, predict what our expenses are going to be month to month. So when we look at any given, we're, we're never surprised. I yeah. think in the first couple of years, of running our business, things would surprise us constantly. Totally. Like, oh shit, we owe WorkSafe BC money or oh shit, we forgot about taxes totally. or we didn't save enough or we didn't know how much to save, accounting fees, all that. Now that we've been in business for a number of years, our expenses rarely surprise us. Yeah. And we are diligent about saving for big expenses every month of the year. Yeah. And we are diligent about putting aside money to pay down debt every month of the year. And so there's this way that uh, we feel in control. Totally. We're rarely surprised by what things cost, and we've got the money sitting there totally. in a category in our budget for all of the costs that come up over the course of the year. Totally. And I think Laura brings up an interesting point, you know, that I just want to kind of reinforce is like, you have to go through, you know, a year or two years mm -hmm. before you get a real clear sense of like what yeah. your baseline is in terms of costs. You know, for us now, you know, probably year five here, I think we're getting... I would say we're pretty clear, actually, on like what our costs are every year. But it has taken us a long time as we've switched bookkeepers and accountants mm -hmm. and different legal fees that come up as a consequence of owning the property and, and property taxes and all of these pieces. You know, it's, you know, our invitation, I think, is to just like be patient with yourself and, 
you know, I think for us, it's been a diligent process of tracking expenses over the years in order to get this like sort of baseline. And so now, you know, we know how much we need to save for GST and how Mm -hmm. much we need to save for accounting fees and for property taxes and all of those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we do it. You know, I, I think there's a another bit of a trend around this profit first idea, which I'm not going to get into, but uh, essentially we do that within our budget. Instead of moving uh, money into different bank accounts, we just do it within the categories of our budget, which I think is simpler yeah. overall. Yeah, yeah. Costs us less in bank fees, too. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's sort of sum it up here yeah. and offer some takeaways um, for our listeners. Yeah, I think one is to funnel all of that beautiful need for control into controlling your money, not your people. Yeah, that is. And that is the value aligned way that we operate. You know, that's not probably going to be a fit for everybody, but it does feel really good when you have a place to put all of that kind of controlling energy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the other big takeaway and the one that's taken us a long time to wrap our head around is that like, it's really normal to have debt Mm -hmm. in a business. Mm -hmm. Just is. It costs. It costs money to expand. It costs money to grow. And taking out debt in the first few years in order to be able to do those things is normal. Yeah. And it's hard to earn a profit That's at every right. size of business. There's right. always It's always hard work. All right. And last, I think, just to uh, note that there's different ways to set up your pay structure. You know, the contractor model, the employee model. And it really depends on what aligns with your values as an owner and the kind of business that you're running. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This is our second last episode of this season. And we hope that you will join us next week as we send off the first season of A Not-So-Private Practice. Thanks for listening to A Not-So-Private Practice. Please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and throw down a review if you are enjoying the show as it helps other listeners find us. In real life, you can find Laura and Steph at www.anotsoprivatepractice.ca. A special thanks and shout out to Podfather Creative for producing and editing this episode. Bye.